Okay, well, let me pray for us and uh, ask the Lord to guide and direct our time here together. So, Father God, we do come with hearts that desire uh, to hear from you this morning. We come with thanksgiving for your abundant provision and your love for us. We come acknowledging our neediness and desperation for you. And we come, Father, with uh, joy of being able to breathe the very breath of life, but also uh, to be able to extend life uh, to others. Thank you for the ways that you have extended yourself to us. Father, now we ask that through this time studying the word, that that would be experienced and learned um, and shared in even greater measure. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. All right. Well, so if you weren't here last week, you'll remember we started out with just this uh, passage from John chapter 1. And it just uh, simply says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything that was made. In Him was life, and life was the light of men. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And you'll remember that the point being there is, this is why we're studying the words of Jesus. Uh, This is, He is the Word, and we want to also study uh, what it is that He had to say. In our first session last week, we talked about what I would say big topic category was humility. And so this little phrase up here, uh, to me, is not meant to be overly clever, but hopefully does communicate a message for us. Uh, Jesus set forth an example for us of humility that was done in the washing of feet. And here he was perceived by them as the rabbi. We know he was the son of God. And he set aside his outer clothing to go and wash the feet of his disciples. And so I've really experienced this in my own life. I've experienced it as I've walked with other people that if you think about this, there's an amazing book out. You don't even need to know anything more than the title. The title of the book is Hurt People, Hurt People. And it's true. And so I've really seen that humble people are free people. And the beautiful thing is, is that free people, free people. And so we can't just decide to be free. It's the gospel at work within us and that sense of humility that comes when we allow the gospel to really take true deep root into our hearts. And so I want to be a person that's free. I also want to be a person that helps free other people because of that. So we come to uh, our text today. It's John 13, 31 through 38. The scripture uh, is on your, uh, hand, on your table today, and it just allows you to follow up with that, gives you a place to take your notes, etc. But I found three questions in this passage that I think are important for us to look at. Obviously, the most significant thing isn't a question, it's a command, and we're going to focus on that. So the first part of this says this. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Then he transitions and he says, Little children, yet a little while, and I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, 
Where I'm going, you cannot come. This is hard. This is an interesting passage. It speaks of a what I call an intimate relationship between the Son of Man and God, where he talks about how the glory is uh, beginning to be uh, communicated and and exposed. And and you see here where he's telling how the Son of Man is going to be glorified. He's laying forth a picture of everything that's getting ready to come. And then he lays this little statement on him. And by the way, I'm leaving and where I'm going, you cannot come. And so my only point that I really want to try to make from this particular part of the passage is here Jesus has laid out some really deep things upon them as his disciples and as they're listening to him. We could spend all six weeks just on what he's talking about here. But let's look and see what he goes, what he comes to next. He says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So he tells them a commandment. The commandment is we're to love one another. But then he does something that should make most of us in the room, maybe all of us, most of us in the room, is he says this phrase, it's a little bit, I'm, I'm exchanging it slightly, he says, and guess what? Do it as I do. Do it as I do. Love one another in the same way I've loved you. Most of the time in our culture and context here today, it's do as I say, not as I do. We're good at articulating what needs to be done. We're not always very good at living and fleshing it out. Now, we say that particularly with our children, for those of us in, who are parents in here today, But listen, it's really true in how we live life. And so there's something here on a deeper level that Jesus is saying. He's going, hey, I want you to love one another. But then he goes and sets himself as the standard. Now, if I said that to you all in here today, I want you to love one another and want you to do it as I have done it unto you. You all might go, that'll be a piece of cake. Okay. As if I have set some high lofty standard for it. But can you imagine articulating that to people that have been around you for three years, have seen you at what we would have a tendency to call at your best and at your worst, and be able to say, I need you to love other people in the same way that I've loved you. I can only imagine that his disciples would go, okay, you've loved us really well. You haven't always spared us from the hard things. You've you've shared with us some difficult things. But I can only imagine what it must have been like to sit under the feet of Jesus, not just to hear his teachings, but to have experienced his love in the way that he communicated it. So much so that he sets it as the standard for how we're to love other people. Okay, now, there are what I would call some significant ripple effects to what Jesus is saying here as to how we are to love one another. 
And so it says this, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. He is saying that the way that we love other people will have an impact, a ripple effect of sorts that, look at the phrase, all people will know that you're my disciples. Well, the question would be, why is that important? Why would it be so significant that all people would know that you're my disciples based on what? If you have love for one another. Now, I, I have to tell you, uh, the question up here, how do we most often want people to know that we are his disciples? Doesn't it come down to some religious things? Doesn't it come down to, well, you know, I've got all sorts of verses that I can throw out at the right time and, and I wear the right clothing or I know the right people and I attend the right church and, and it's all external things almost. I, I, I don't want to be overly critical, but I do think that there's times that we've lost really track of what it means for us for the world to know that we are His disciples. And I think the tragedy of that is we're beginning to see a greater and greater polarization of which then sometimes we go, that's right, that's right. We're proud of the polarization. But then the next thing that comes along is we end up being completely irrelevant. And friends, I, I think the church is on the verge of being irrelevant in the culture that we live in. And I think part of it is, is because they see so little of this in the lives of the disciples. That be us. That we say, if we have love one for another. What they see is, is more backbiting and divisions and, you know, I, I understand how we end up with all these churches that have different nuances and we look at it this way. Last week I shared with you, you know, that the whole foot washing thing and there's a denomination that sets itself apart because they've made foot washing one of their sacraments. Well, I don't have a problem with that, but it just gets us where we're more and more different and there's less and less perceived love within those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus. And so I believe he is nailing something here that needs to be understood for us in our cultural context today. That love one for, one for another is huge. Now, we just saw a great example of this this weekend. How many of you got to experience, I was just talking with Michael Loftus, Lofton earlier about uh, how you know, all of a sudden trees fall down, there's a storm, everybody comes together, we're cutting down trees, we're helping neighbors and stuff, and it looks great. But it's like, friends, how do we do this even in the context when, when it's not something like that, but when we just sense the Lord's calling something out of us? Where does that come from within us? And, you know, I ask the question, what does our lack of love reveal? And I honestly have to tell you, I think it's a poor understanding of the gospel. I think it could be unbelief. I think it could be self-centeredness. 
There's something here that we need to see that Jesus is calling out and wanting us to realize this is a characteristic that is important for all of us as a disciple. Now I've labeled this kind of in a, a funny way, the disconnect for Peter. And I have to ask the question, is it ours as well? And so if you look at the next verse, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Now, that question makes sense, doesn't it? Jesus has said, where I'm going, you cannot go. Here's my problem with it. He just said before that, you're to love one another. Peter, in my mind, I know I'm, I don't think this is what the Scripture's teaching. I, I'm, I'm trying to bring a little something here that I think is relevant to all of us, especially to us as men. It's kind of like, I'm going to go to the thing that I feel more comfortable talking about. Where are you going? As opposed to, how do I love like you love? Friends, I, I, I honestly believe, and I, I, again, I know I'm, I'm potentially stepping on toes in here. I, I have no desire to kick anybody in the pants because I'm the guiltiest one of us all in here. But it would seem to me like after he says, you're to love one another as I've loved you, that I'd have to go, I can't do that. I've watched you for three years. I, I can't do that. But instead, I'm going to go to some place that's safer for me, and I'm going to go, where are you going? Valid question. But I'm going to ask you gentlemen today to consider in your own hearts and lives, if there's not a place you need to start first, the questions that you ask, how do I do this, Lord? How do I love one another? Because I'm inclined to go with the more intellectual thing. Where are you going? The safer thing. And so then we come to this. We go back to, to uh, the first question, where are you going? It's a legitimate question. Where are you going? Now the problem with the question is that Peter's trying to have an intellectual understanding of where Jesus is going. And largely because at this point in time, he still doesn't understand the purpose of what Jesus was here to do. He's still locked in thinking that Jesus is coming here in order to establish an earthly kingdom. And it's like, wait a minute, you can't be going somewhere where I'm not because I'm with you. I'm going to be number two in command once you take over and everything's kind of riding on that. So where are you going? On one level, it's a very sincere and necessary question. But it's also very revealing as to what the problem is here. So then we come to the second part here. And the second question that you'll see in the passage there is, Lord, why can I not follow, uh, not follow you now? It's kind of a brash question. Wanting to know, why can I not go on with you? And Jesus really uses this question to get to the heart of a deeper issue that I think is true for all of us. 
Peter's still intent on this. I'm going with you. I want to be with you. There are so many places that I, I just, I go, I wished I was more like Peter. And there's times I go, I wished I wasn't as much like Peter. I wished I had the courage to get out of the boat to walk on water, even though I might sink. I wished I had the courage to cut off Malchus's ear when the uh, numerical odds were completely against me. But I wished I also wasn't like Peter when the time comes and I deny him. I wished I wasn't like Peter when I realized I can be, think I've figured this all out, that I know what's going on here. And so the prophetic word that Jesus is getting ready to lay on him comes with our third question. And Jesus asked him simply, will you lay down your life for me? Now, I read this question in two ways. To Peter, it's a little bit like this. Will you? <laughs> you know, it's like, I don't think so. So he's not really, it's not necessarily a sincere question because Jesus already knows the answer to it. Will you? Are you going to really lay down your life for me? But I can't also help but read this a little bit, guys, that if this was to us, will you lay down your life for me? Will you? With more of a sincere question. And with us to have to kind of wrestle with this in a little bit more significant and deeper way as we keep going on. And so he painfully exposes to Peter that he's going to deny him. And he tells him, will you lay down your life? As a matter of fact, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. He lays it out there for him. You think you've got it all figured out. You think you are fully committed. My problem is, Peter, you're committed to the wrong thing. And he exposes that within him. And there would be a little bit of me today that would say, Lord, is there any place for every man in this room, including myself, that something needs to be exposed as to how we view it and how we have built our understanding of the gospel on that and how we have been able to justify poor behavior, how we've been able to find ourselves justifying things that I don't think Scripture gives an open door to. And so there's something that we need to really take into consideration here with this, where he goes, will you lay down your life for me? And then we go to John 15, and I know I'm stealing a verse from Jay Hoffler's lesson that'll be the two weeks in July that we meet. But look what John 15 says. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. We've already heard that in 13. That's what we're looking at. But now he gives us some definition around it. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. So he says, will you lay down your life? And then he tells us what love is. Love is the kind of love is a one who lays down his life for his friends. And the beautiful thing that we get to rest in today is that's what the Lord Jesus Christ did for us. That he laid down his life for us. And if that's true, 
that he laid down his life for us, then what the passage says is there's no greater love that any of us in this room in here today could ever experience. He demonstrated the greatest love for us that's ever been demonstrated. And so I kind of diagrammed this in this way. Here's the commandment that you love one another. And then we say, how? As I've loved you. And up until that point, he's loved them well just in the everyday aspects of life. The way that he's related to them. The way that he's cared for them. The way that he's spoken to them. We know later on, though, that he demonstrated this. Greater love has no one than this. Lay down his life for his friends. Jesus did that. Peter said he was willing. But what we found out, he wasn't. Now, thanks be to God, post-resurrection, we know Peter, in fact, did the very thing. He laid down his life. In a very dramatic way. Not just spiritually speaking, but even physically the way that Peter died his death. And so we come to kind of the phrase here. This idea of being willing to lay down your life, it's easy to say, it's hard to do. It's easy to phrase, say it. Um, and and I, I will tell you that I find things far too often in my life that are really easy to say. Uh, a dear brother here in the room came up to me a couple of weeks ago and said, man, the uh, confession of sin that we read in the service Sunday, that's pretty harsh. My response was, uh, uh, yeah, uh, uh, it's like, I was there. Did I even remember it? I can say it in church on Sunday morning. I can read it. Does it impact me? Do I really see what it is that I'm saying and take that out and say, gosh, Lord God, forgive me. And Do I live out of that abundance of truth about who I am? which then opens me up to live out of the abundance of truth of who he is. And so listen to this. And I wrote down here, there could be a hundred answers to the unless. It's easy to say it's hard to do unless, this is my one version. We know what it means and what it is like to be greatly loved by the Father. You see, I think that's going to be critical. I think that's why he says, love one another as I have loved you. It will prove you're my disciple. It impacts people's lives. And then he goes on to say, and here's how I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this and lay down his life. We see what the Father's done for us. Peter Tippin and I lived in Colorado together for a while. There was a woman in our church by the name of Ann Ware. I don't know too many people that loved as well as she did. And one day she said to me, I think I'm just kind of a why me person. And I'm like, you are, I didn't say it, 
because I didn't have time, but in my head I thought, you have got to be the farthest thing from a why me person that I've ever met. And she turned it around on me in a way that bowled me over. Why me? Why do you love me so much? And fellas, the more that she understood how deeply loved she was, the more capacity she had to love others. And when we understand how deeply loved we are, to lay down our life becomes, I'm going to use this word, easy. Because we have a deep sense of belief that there's something more significant than us holding on to life and trying to live it in a way that we think is going to have the biggest impact. Now, I'm going to give you some questions up here to ponder. And I'm hoping that around your tables, you'll have some very sincere and, and I'm going to even use the word intimate conversations. And I know I come from a frame of life that I'm, I'm more willing to lay it out in front of people that I don't even know. Some people find that really uncomfortable. Here's what I'm going to ask you all. Um, we're a bunch of brothers in Christ sitting here in this room today. And we are in desperate need of understanding truth and, and who he is and what he's done for us. And you know what? And you're sitting around the table with each other today, you might be able to speak into somebody's life in a way that they will hear it and it will deeply impact them. You may be spoken to. You may be the one speaking and all of a sudden, like I bump into during counseling sessions, where I go, did you hear that, Pat? Did you hear what you just said to them? Fellas, this part of the time that we're here together where I'm standing up here before you is important. The time around the tables is, I think, even more important. And here's my last humorous statement that I want to make. Please, please walk out of here today committed to love one another as he's loved us. You go, what's humorous about that? And I'll say, because it's the greatest chance that you'll have to put me out of work. I would love to be able to stop doing what I do. I love what I do, but I would love to be put out of a job because we as a body of Christ are loving one another as Christ has loved us. And so here's our questions to ponder. Don't spend a lot of time on the first one. Maybe one or two people share on this. Have you ever been deeply loved by another person? If so, briefly tell what, what that was like. What is required for us to lay down our lives and what makes that difficult? Why would you want to do that? In other words, what would be the benefits? And guys, I'm not trying to appeal to you on the benefit side to it. I'm wanting you to really think through and part of the benefit is we will prove to the world that we're his disciples. Lord God, I do thank you for my brothers here today. And I pray, oh God, that we would grab hold just of this simple truth that you've laid out in John. And I pray that we would 
would um, see that it become manifest in our lives. So, Father, bless the time now around the tables. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.